Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Labor Day weekend. I'll be laboring tomorrow, just so you know. At Oklahoma Christian University, where I teach, that's my day job, uh, they've had classes as long as I can remember. I don't know why, but they do. So when I told that to some of my first-year students, they looked at me like I was crazy. And I said, I'll see you on Monday at 9 a.m. And one of them said, no, you won't. <laughs> anyway, so glad you're here this morning. If I've not met you, if you're visiting, my name is Brian Simmons. I'm blessed to be the preaching minister here at Oakcrest. And I have a little bit of a confession to make to you. I am a quitter. It's true. I'm a quitter. Can I take you back several years? I was a uh, sophomore in college. This would be 1984. And I came home from Oklahoma Christian to my ancestral home in Phoenix, Arizona. And I thought to myself, boy, the time has come for you to get glasses, Brian, because you can't see. In fact, I was driving my car back from Oklahoma City to Phoenix, and I didn't see much of the road because I was squinting and I had a headache. And so I thought, it's time for glasses. And I thought, I don't want glasses. Only dorks wear glasses. I'm not a dork. I'm going to get contact lenses. So I went down to this contact lens place in Phoenix, and it was one of those cut-rate contact places, you know, that give you like 25 sets of contact lenses for $1.50. And so a couple days later, I get my contact lenses. And so I'm struggling to put the stupid contact lens in the stupid eye. And it took me about an hour and a half to not even get one contact lens in one eye. And I was frustrated. And so I had the contact lens on my finger, and it went partly in my eye, and I blinked once, and then it went into the sink. And I'm like, where did the contact lens go? And I struggled for another hour or so after I finally got one contact lens in, and I couldn't get the second one in, and I said, this is dumb. I'm going to wear my glasses, because I actually had a pair of glasses that my mom had gotten me, but I didn't want to wear it because only dorks wear glasses. And so it turns out that I spent another couple of hours the next day trying to put on contact lenses. I could never do it. And finally I said to myself, only cool people wear glasses. I'm just going to wear my glasses around. And I came to find out at a very young age that in fact it's true. All the cool people wear glasses. And I, that's worth some applause, isn't it? <laughs> At the end of the day, I was a quitter. I never wore the contact lenses after about two days' worth of trying. And it's funny because I tell that every once in a while to people. Some of my students are now my friends at my church family. And some people will come up to me and say, I had the same experience. But about 97.4% of people come up to me and say, you didn't stay with it long enough. You could have gotten it. To which I said, but look how cool I am. <laughs> and I think about that every once in a while when I bump into scriptures that I think have something to do with contact lenses. Look, can we be honest for a moment? The passage that Dennis read a moment ago in Romans chapter 12 is a pretty familiar passage for most of us. In Romans chapter 12, we read this. I urge you, brothers, in view of uh, God's Mercy to offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your worship. But then the second verse comes along and it says, Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, I've heard that passage a gazillion times in my life. 
And it's one of those passages where when you hear it, you smile and nod. Because we all seemingly know what it means. Not to conform to the pattern of this world, but to be transformed. And we smile and nod and go, yes, yes, we should be transformed. And then we move on. But can I tell you a few things about what I've noticed about this particular smile and nod passage? That's what I call it. There are many passages in scriptures that we hear it, we smile and nod because we think we understand it. It seems so simple and we're just ready to move on to something a little more challenging. But when I hear this scripture, it dawns on me that a lot of people have some expectations about this transformation business that they don't always articulate. You see, it occurs to me that oftentimes when people think about transformation, they expect it to happen quickly. They expect it to happen suddenly. They expect that all they have to do is just put their mind to it and they will be transformed. It's a bit like learning how to put contact lenses in your eyes. In fact, many people said to me in the wake of my abysmal failure to master something as simple as contact lenses, well, Brian, you just didn't try hard enough. Well, Brian, somebody should have taught you how to do that. Well, Brian, on and on and on. But here's the thing. In Scripture, we do read about these amazing transformations. I mean, in Acts chapter 9, Paul is just minding his own business, and he has this incredible transformation, and just a few weeks later, he's preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. In the same chapter, a bit later on, an entire village believes in the Lord Jesus Christ simply because a bedridden man had been given the ability to walk again. In Acts chapter 8, there's this character named Simon the Sorcerer who immediately turns from sorcery and the dark arts and all that kind of stuff and suddenly becomes a servant of God. And sometimes I have to be honest with you, I meet a lot of people that wish their life was like that. Man, they'd love to stop drinking to excess. Man, they'd love to have a much better attitude about church. Man, they would love to have a better marriage, to be a better parent, to be more patient. They would love to be more merciful and kind and forgiving. And they try a little bit, but it doesn't happen. And the transformation that Paul writes about here in Romans chapter 12 seems so far away. You know, a slave trader can write the words, I once was blind, but now I see amazing grace. But sometimes it seems like we expect that transformation to happen quickly. And when it doesn't happen quickly, when our spouse doesn't change the way we want them to, when the person in the pew in front of you doesn't change the way you know they need to, when your grandkids or your kids, you know, those adults or those emerging adults, when they seem to go off the rails and don't quite get back on again, and you get really worried and you pray for them, and the transformation you ask God to bring in their life doesn't come, it becomes a little harder to smile and nod at what's going on in Romans chapter 12. Those things in Scripture are impressive, but my experience in life, and I've not lived nearly as long as some of you, so forgive me if I haven't gotten it yet, but my experience in life has been that oftentimes that transformation doesn't happen immediately and even at all. In fact, sometimes it's a lot more like what Lydia Contreras would tell you about her story. You don't know Lydia Contreras. You don't need to know her, but here's her story. She was converted while she was in college after meeting her husband at a campus ministry thing in Mississippi, at Mississippi State University over in Starkville. And you see, Lydia had struggled all of her life with anger 
and she doesn't do conflict very well at all. She says a lot of hurtful things whenever things don't go her way, and she flies off into a rage, and she holds grudges, and she just walks out oftentimes on people, sometimes giving them the silent treatment for days. Well, then she's converted, and the hope was that as she was converted, that all of that would melt away, that she would be better at conflict. She wouldn't have the bitterness she holds in her heart, but she would be more forgiving, that when she would in fact involve herself in conflict, it wouldn't be as ugly and nasty as it was. The words behind me on the screen are the words of her husband, Gary. I thought that becoming a Christian and marrying me would change her, but it didn't. I guess I underestimated Satan's power. You see, in Lydia Contreras' life, there was no immediate transformation. It was not like coming up out of the water from baptism and all of a sudden finding yourself able to master the urges you have to lash out or suddenly knowing how to forgive people or suddenly knowing what it is to actually treat people with kindness and respect and love. No, that takes time. It takes longer than it took me to learn how to use contact lenses. And the reality, at least in my experience, has been that as many times as we smile and nod at this idea of transformation, in reality, oftentimes it doesn't happen. Or if it happens, it doesn't happen when we want it to, in the way we want it to. In fact, if you were completely honest with me, I would take you to campus and introduce you to some of my students who very much want to be transformed, but it's not happening for them yet. And they're discouraged. And they're frustrated, and they're mad at themselves for not being able to change, and they're a little bit mad at God for not helping them change in the way they want. And like me, they stare into a mirror. But unlike me, the face that they see is not the face of someone who can't master something as simple as contact lenses. No, instead, the face they see in the mirror is of someone who just can't change the important things in the way that they want to. And so I'd like to offer you a word of encouragement and also an observation about all of this transformation stuff that floats around in the background of Romans chapter 12. Here's my word of encouragement. I believe that oftentimes the truth of the matter is the transformation in our life is not revolutionary, it's evolutionary. And by evolutionary, what I mean is that that change oftentimes takes place slowly over time. Or that change often takes place where you make one step up and two steps back, and then another step up and then another step back. It almost works in fits and starts. At least that's what I've seen in in my life. What I've seen in the lives of so many people that I've met along the way of life is that it just takes time for that to happen. So many people I've known want to be better parents or they want to be better spouses or they want to put away the bitterness in their heart. They want to be more forgiving but they realize that that only happens after a period of time goes by. I was talking to one of my students just uh, at the beginning of the semester, and she's struggling mightily with forgiving some people in her life. And she said to me, Brian, the Bible talks so often about forgiveness, and I want to be a forgiving kind of person, but every time I think about forgiving this particular person or that particular person, I just can't get there. I can't forget the hurt they caused me. I can't forget the hurt they caused my family. I can't think about it without peeling the scab off that wound and it hurting all over again. And I said to that student, it's going to take some time, maybe more time than you think. 
And it takes conversation with me and prayer, and it takes conversation with others, and it takes one step up, two steps back, one step up, two steps back. And I think that even Paul understood that. Because as much as he wrote in Romans chapter 12 about not being conformed to the pattern of this world and transforming our mind in his own personal life, as he sat there and wrote that letter to the church in Rome, earlier in the same passage, in the same letter rather, he wrote this in Romans chapter 7. This is the inner struggle. I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do is not what I do, but what I hate, that's what I do. For I know that the good itself does not dwell in me, that's my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. For I don't do the good I want to do, but oh, the evil I don't want to do, that's what I keep on doing. That's the inner struggle. This is written by the same guy who was encouraging the church family in Rome to be transformed. That, my friends, that's real life. And I just feel an obligation to let people know about that and to remind them that if you expect transformation to be instantaneous, even in Paul's life, there is a struggle. I mean, honestly, looking back on it, it's hard to learn how to use contact lenses. Some of you know that because you struggled as I did. But it's harder to learn how to forgive, I think. It's harder to learn how to make a marriage work, I know. It's harder to get rid of bitterness. It's harder to walk the path that Jesus Christ calls us to walk. And so I just feel a bit of an obligation to say that maybe, maybe the transformation that Paul talks about, the transformation we all want in our lives and that we want in the lives of people we love, maybe it's evolutionary. In fact, maybe it's more like what's been called the Stonecutter's Creed. Here's the Stonecutter's Creed. When nothing seems to help, I go back and look at a stonecutter hammering away at the rock perhaps a hundred times without as much of a crack showing in the rock. Hammer, 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 hammer. Yet at the hundred and first blow, the rock splits in two. And I know it was not that blow that did it, but all the blows that had gone before. The Stonecutter's Creed realizes that it takes effort, it takes time, it takes perseverance, it takes commitment, it takes all of that to split the rock. It takes all of that sometimes to get to a point where you can forgive someone who did you wrong. The reality is that sometimes it takes that to be truly genuinely, authentically transformed. Boy, I wish it happened like Paul on the road to Damascus. I wish it happened like Simon the sorcerer. I wish that it happened even in some people's lives that I've known, where they come out of the baptistry and all of a sudden their life is different. But in my experience, that's the exception, not the rule. And so I take a great deal of comfort in the Stonecutter's Creed by telling all of my students and telling everyone that I know, sometimes, in some cases, it takes that. So I'm a little, bit of a, a little bit of a nerd. I enjoy reading nonfiction books more than I enjoy reading fiction books. And I'm even more of a nerd because I enjoy reading history nonfiction books. And I've read a lot of World War II history because that era fascinates me. I'm convinced that is the greatest generation, hands down. And there was a book written by a former US Marine named Eugene Sledge. 
sledge with a, an 18-year-old kid that got shipped off to the Pacific Theater in the midst of World War II, and he wrote a book about his experiences as a U.S. Marine fighting in places like Tarawa and Peleliu and Iwo Jima. And in talking specifically about the Battle of Tarawa, here's what Sledge says. The Battle of Tarawa wasn't won by generals or admirals, nor was it won in a war room or a headquarters. We took Tarawa because thousands of Marines each did this. They left a foxhole when it was safer to stay put. They stayed awake when they wanted to sleep. They charged when they wanted to run. And they bled when they wanted to cry. That's the Stonecutter's Creed. You see, what I didn't do, struggling in front of the mirror in the bathroom of my house in Phoenix, is I didn't follow the Stonecutter's Creed. I didn't keep trying. I didn't keep trying. I gave up. Someone once said to me, the important things in life, Brian, are hard. And I think it's true. And I think that this transformation we talk about is hard. But every time the U.S. Marines advanced 10 feet, 20 feet, 30 feet on Tarawa or Iwo Jima or Peleliu or Okinawa, they got a little closer to victory. Just like every time, had I stuck with it, if I had gotten both lenses in successfully, worn them for a day, taken them out, I'm making progress. And so I want simply to remind you that this transformation that Paul talks about is often an evolutionary one. And that takes me to one last observation about all this. If we recognize that the transformation Paul talks about does take time and oftentimes is evolutionary, it's going to be messy. And you've got to give people a break. You've got to realize that the people around you are not the final products that they could be, but that they are, so to speak, under construction, that they are a project, that they are in the midst of this transformation thing. Um, the last time I traveled, I was at an airport, and I saw this sign. <clears throat> it said, and I quote, <clears throat> pardon our dust, we're building something better for you. Pardon our dust. And of course, places like airports put that sign up because they want people to realize, hey, we know it's a mess right now, but it's a mess right now temporarily because it's going to be better later on. So can you just indulge us? Can you walk around a little bit or realize this restaurant's going to be closed? Can you just give us a break because we realize it's a mess now, but it'll be better later? And oftentimes when I've seen that sign, I thought to myself, but I want the restaurant to be open, or but I don't want to have to go all the way around, or not now. Hey, look, the people around you are under construction. Churches and the people who inhabit them are not people who are final products. They're not all people that master the contact lens thing. They're not all people that have got the forgiveness thing down. They're not all people that have been completely and fully transformed. No, quite the opposite. I think a better sign that we might put is not this one, pardon our dust, but this one that I saw at a church years ago. Pardon our progress, exciting changes in the works. And I think that's what it is. You see, you have to remember that if transformation takes time, we have to walk beside, and sometimes walk behind, and sometimes carry, and sometimes push those individuals who are trying to transform. And by that, I don't just mean the people that were once far from God and are moving closer, but I also mean the people that have been right next to God for a long time, but are not yet what God could have them be.
And so I just want us all to remember that this transformation thing requires us to give people a break and to recognize that they sometimes will say or do things that will surprise us or disappoint us or let us down or shock us. And that's okay. I mean, if nothing else, you now know that the preacher at the church you attended today is a quitter, (laughs) at least when it comes to contact lenses. And so at the end of the day, this passage in Romans chapter 12 does cause us to smile and to nod, but I believe there's so much more to it than that. There's evolutionary slow progress. And why is that? Well, you heard it said earlier, because of the blood of Christ because of God's patience, because of God's mercy, because God wants us to make those changes. It's worth it. It's worth it. So this morning, wherever you are in your life, wherever you are on the path of transformation, if you're really working on something in your life and you want it to be different, you want it to be better, give yourself a break. Keep hitting the stone. And if you know people in your life that are working on transformation, you help them keep hitting the stone. But don't say to them, how come you haven't cracked that rock yet? How come you're not done yet? How come you're not perfect yet? How come you're not better yet? How come you're not? Because our Lord doesn't say that to us. Our Lord just says, I I want you to keep working on it. And I'm here beside you. And I'm here to help you. And the same is true of this church family. So this morning, on Labor Day weekend, since we're all together, if this church family can be a blessing to you, would you let us do that this morning? There's a baptistry behind me. The water is lukewarm. We'd love to baptize you for the forgiveness of your sins. I guarantee you, you'd never forget when your anniversary of your baptism is, because it would be Labor Day weekend every year. Well, more or less. And if we can pray for your life this morning, if we can pray about your transformation or pray about people in your life for their transformation, would you let us do that? Our protocol here at the Oak Crest Church of Christ runs like this. In a moment, Kyle will rise. He will invite us all to stand and we'll sing a song together that hopefully will set the stage for what we will do in the next few moments. One of our shepherds will be here in the front to receive you if you'd like to have prayer said. One of them will also be in the back in the lobby if that's a little more comfortable, a little more private for you. But whatever happens, don't let a holiday weekend pass. If you have spiritual needs to help you transform, that we can help you with. And so let us join together and sing as a church family at this time. Kyle.